Father, thank you for this morning, this beautiful morning that you've given us and this opportunity to come together and um, to learn more about what your word has to say. And um, Father God, even though this lesson might seem somewhat familiar to many of us, God, I just pray that we would listen with um, teachable, humble hearts because there's always room for growth and there's always room um, to change so that we can live lives that bring you glory and honor. Thank you this morning for the ladies that are here. Thank you for the ladies serving over in Wellspring Kids, just how faithful they are to plan and prepare and take such good care of those kids. Father, I pray that um, as those little ones are over there hearing truth, that even at a young age, that their hearts would be drawn to you. In your name, amen. Um, so we're going to talk about um, our disciplines. And I, especially with Jacob being here, I am not qualified to speak about medical things. And there's also nurses in the room. Great. So um, I might say something wrong. If I do, please correct me. I had to do a little internet research. So myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle that can sometimes be caused by a viral infection. So what happens is that your body releases cells to fight the infection, and then those cells release a chemical that can sometimes cause your heart to be inflamed, and that heart inflammation can sometimes be very painful and very scary. And then the doctors do a series of tests to determine the health of your heart, and you'll probably put on a significant amount of medication, um, and then you need to follow up with your doctor regularly. And the reason that I'm semi-familiar <clears throat> with myocarditis is because I had it. A year ago, actually tomorrow, I was rushed to the hospital with chest pains radiating down my left arm. And when I was in the emergency room and the medical staff was explaining what happened, myocarditis, <clears throat> um, my first thought was, I think there's a Wellspring illustration in here. <laughs> and there is. <laughs> so here's my Wellspring illustration that's related to uh, my heart issues. So your physical heart affects your whole body, right? Something disastrous happens to your heart muscle and it can have profound lasting and sometimes deadly effects, but doesn't our spiritual heart as well. And when I say spiritual heart, I mean what we've been learning about this whole year, our inner man, who we are inside. Doesn't that have a profound effect on the rest of our body? Um, so if we don't work to fight sin that can creep in and affect our heart like a virus, that will have a disastrous effect. And I don't want to steal any of Jacob's thunder this morning with Proverbs 4.23. Oh, no. It'll be better. His will be better than mine because he actually knows what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> so um, Proverbs 4.23, it is our wellspring verse. So let's read that together. It's on the back and the front of your notebook. Um, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So we've learned about this before. <clears throat> Everything flows out of our hearts, our words, our actions, our thoughts, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing that proceeds out of me that didn't first start in my heart. So we need to be careful to watch over what's happening in our hearts. Discipline one, the faithful. So we need to be guarding our hearts faithfully, regularly, constantly. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So <clears throat> a few weeks before I had this heart event, I had strep throat and I was prescribed antibiotics, but 
I wasn't great about taking them. I'm much better now. Um, I missed a few doses here and there. And uh, the doctors say that we'll never know if that's actually what caused my heart issues, but I wasn't being careful. Um, and um, I wasn't guarding carefully over the health of my body. So what happens if we take a break from guarding our hearts? I'm not talking about physical heart, <laughs> our hearts. Won't there be some consequences from not being careful, from not guarding? What about if I choose to turn a blind eye to a specific sin saying, well, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not as bad as my husband or as my sister or, um, I mean, I'm not stealing anything. It can't be that bad. Or what about if I try to relabel my sin or shift the blame? I'm just frustrated because you did this. Um, but instead, we need to say, I need to fight against this sin, whether it's anger or pride or whatever, that's in my heart and spilling out all over around me. Um, discipline two, the faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. So if my heart guarding takes a back seat, um, it has a profound effect on my home, right? The people that live there and even the people that visit there. Discipline three, with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So if my heart is fixed on myself or the world or anywhere other than God, then it will not just have a profound effect on myself, my home, but then on the church as a whole. So when I was in the hospital, a series of tests were done to see the health of my heart. I had blood tests, EKGs, echocardiograms, I had a heart cath, the whole everything. Daily, we need to bring our hearts to God's word for a test. We need to bring ourselves before the word of God to check the health of our hearts. Um, does my heart line up with what God says? Is there any sin that I need to put to death? And that is um, our standard for where our hearts need to be. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to keep us faithful, to guard our hearts. Heavenly Father, you are so good in that you have given us your word. You have given us free access to your word every single day. God, I pray that we never take that for granted, that we value and we love and we guard um, the, the privilege it is to have your word so that we can bring our hearts before it. Father, I pray that you would make us faithful women who strive to care for our hearts well so that we can minister to those in our home well and to the church body as a whole. Father God, we love you. In your name, amen. Good morning. That was like my outline. No, that's awesome. No, that's it's, it was actually good because it, it means that, that I'm not alone in what I'm saying. And you'd expect that because I think the, the message of the Bible about our hearts is consistent. And, um, and we've been consistent at Grace Bible Church 
over the years of, of prioritizing this. And I, it's, it's fun how just biblical concepts just become the way that we think. And so how else are you going to talk about the heart without saying the exact same thing sometimes? Um, so for those, I think everybody knows. My name is Jacob Hantla. Um, I'm one of the, the pastor elders here. Um, and this is seriously one of my favorite times of the year. For about, a seems like a decade now, I've gotten to annually teach this lesson to Wellspring, which is Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and what Wellspring is named for. And the effect on my own heart of just putting myself before these things is always dramatic. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you for having me today. Basically, we're going to be focusing on discipline one, but like we just heard, the, there's an intimate connection between the purity of guarding your heart and then the health of your home and your ministry. We're going to see that play itself out um, throughout all of scripture, but first we're going to dive into Proverbs 4.23 to, I, I hope, better understand exactly what it's saying, what the name spring of this wellspring um, class, what, the, what this wellspring ministry is. So let's pray first. God, I, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, God, as I speak and seek to expose the truth of your word, guard and guide my words. Make them clear, make them true. Make them align with yours. God, I, I beg that as you reveal yourself to us through your word, you would cause us to worship you. And I pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, grant my heart and the hearts of my hearers a, a submissive posture before you as we approach your word. These are truths that we're so familiar with, many of us. To some, this might be startling. God, to some, this is our truths that we could say that I have said, uh, but are so easy to forget, so easy to wander from. So I pray that from this, you would make us from the heart, guard our hearts to you in your word above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at Proverbs 4.23. Um, it's on the front page of your of your notes. It's in your Bible. Um, look down at Proverbs 4.23, and you're going to see a simple and profound passage that teaches a profound and simple truth. You, you can see down at the, the bottom of your first page, you see there's a what, a how, and a why. So let's just read, read Proverbs 4.23 and look for the what, the how, and the why. Keep your heart... With all vigilance, because from it flow the springs of life. There's a command. That, what's the imperative verb there? What's the, there's a command that Solomon, the wise father, has for his son. It's just guard your heart. And looking at other English commands, you can see that translated keep, watch over. As we'll see, it's, it's a, a word that was used of Nehemiah's guards outside the, the temple, outside the wall when they were rebuilding and the wall wasn't yet complete. They had to 
watch for invaders. And that's the command, guard. How are they to do that? Well, with all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. And why? Well, because from that heart flow the springs of life, or it's the source of life, or as the NIV puts it, it's the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23 is that simple. You now know it, right? It's, it's that easy to understand. There's a what, a how, and a why, and you probably already have it memorized if you didn't already. Um, and I, I recommend you do commit it to memory and that when you say it, you don't just let those words flow off your tongue, but each time you remind yourselves of that, this is the command, this is the way in which I'm to do it, and there's a really, really important reason. And that's all that we're going to be doing today is delving into each one of those three points of the outline with a little more detail. So have you ever, well, let's, yeah, have, have you ever, uh, I'm going to skip back up. So, so this morning, let's start by looking at the why of Solomon's command. So that's going to be, I'm trying to make sure I'm tracking with your outline. Should be at the top of page two. The why of, of the command of Solomon's command. We're going to start with the why, even though this isn't the order that the verse goes in. We're going to start with the why so that we understand better the what and the how. The heart is the well or the source from which all other behaviors spring. That's the why. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Like, like that sin felt foreign to you. Like it exploding at your roommates, short temper with your husband, anger at your children, entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies, maybe just laziness, lying, gossip, sharp speech. Where did that come from? Oh, surely that happened to me. It came from outside of me. That sin... And indeed, everything that you do, good or bad, every action, thought, or deed, or word even, is, is in some way water that has flowed from the wellspring of your heart. That heart, the most inner you. What comes out of you actually comes from the most inner, most true you. That's how you can get a, a hint as to what's actually in there. Proverbs 4.23 is going to help us get at the root of these sins and prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of our sin problem. And then guide us, I believe, towards walking in purity of life. So the inspired Solomon gives that profound illustration for your life. You think of everything that you do, think, say, and all of life as water flowing from the wellspring, from your heart. So there is no part, if that's true, there's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. You can write that at the top of page two or something like that. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or, put another way, there is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. So if there's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart, or there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect, it's also true that the character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. 
So the image is of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But if the source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water, right? And this is a problem because the Bible describes the natural human heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. Top of page two, look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And consider uh, Genesis 6, 5, that God, before the flood, he, he saw the wickedness in man's heart and was moved to kill everyone except for Noah and his family. Open your Bible to Genesis 6, 5. This is startling. And look at God's assessment of the natural human heart. Genesis 6, 5. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And the flood did not fix man's heart problem. Right? That heart came from Adam. It continued on to us through Noah and his sons. And it's the natural heart that every single human is born with to this day. Remember, the flood didn't fix man's heart problem. The description of man's heart as only evil continually, apart from grace, is still just as true today. So if, if what I had said earlier is true, if there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring, and this wellspring is desperately sick and only evil continually, what would you expect the assessment of man's actions to be? And you see it, it's totally consistent. It's exactly what we see in Romans 3, 10 through 12, uh, quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3. This is just the logical math of these biblical truths. The tragically logical math played out in every life in rebellion against God. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one. No one naturally has a good heart, and no one, no, not one, does good before God from that natural heart. Left to ourselves, we are a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we were born with wicked hearts. And this is the description of unregenerate man living in unmixed, in an unmixed sinful condition. But remember, God does not leave the Christian in this condition. 
So speaking of the new covenant with Israel, the Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. You may want to turn there. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see what God did there? What was the solution? God promised Israel that he will someday give them all a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. Their only hope to walk in purity, right? Their only hope to be anything other than holding evil continually. This hasn't happened for all of Israel yet, but it is what God does when he saves us. What vivid imagery. It was actually a good intro. I'm sorry for giving you a hard time. Cardiomyopathy is a real thing. And it's actually what I get to deal with really where where I've specialized largely right now. And I get to see the effects of it every single day almost. I get to see how important a healthy physical heart is. Um, But it's sobering to see what happens when a heart goes bad. Whether it's from a virus or a heart attack, some other cause, regardless of, of what happens. Now we're talking about a physical heart. But when you get a cardiomyopathy of, of some sort, um, basically what happens is the heart, for some reason, is no longer able to pump the life-giving blood where it needs to go. When the blood comes back, like when you exercise, your legs pump blood back to your heart and your, your natural heart is supposed to just expand nicely without increasing pressures and then pump all that blood out, which is why you can just increase your cardiac output to meet, meet your needs. But when your heart's sick, that blood comes back. Your lungs fill up with that blood instead of it going to where it needs to go. So when your heart's bad, these patients can't breathe. They can't walk even, some of them. Some of them can't even lay flat. They're unable to, this sick heart affects absolutely every single part of their body. Their mind's not as sharp as it once was. Their kidney functions down. They can't eat big meals. They can't walk across the room without getting tired or their legs hurting. When the heart is diseased and its blood supply is compromised, the supple, powerful heart becomes like stone. Blood passively flows in, but the heart doesn't accommodate it to pump it out. And so it pumps so weakly that basically death is what reigns in the body. And that, that's ultimately where this goes. You can drug, you can drug things to help, help prolong it, help minimize the effects. But once you start down this path critically enough, the only solution for your physical heart is to replace it. Um, And so it's remarkable to see how a dying body is rejuvenated from a heart transplant. I don't know if you've ever known anybody who got a heart transplant. It's amazing. You see somebody come 
I've seen some patients come back where we've, we've done some things and you see them a year later and they look like a different person. They were slow, slow of speech. You could tell that just they, the color wasn't right. They just lackadaisical. They, they weren't sharp in their thinking. They weren't sharp in their movements. You could tell that their kidneys were shut down. They get this heart transplant and they come back and they are a different person. Where death reigned, life does. And that's an imperfect illustration, but it's, it's a really sweet one. And when that stony heart is removed and replaced by a healthy heart, the person becomes like a new person. Dying organs are rejuvenated. Slowing a slow mind quickens. A body that looks like death is now filled with life. And that only lasts so long, right? That heart's going to die. But Christian, you had an old, dead heart of stone at the very core of you that impacted every single thing that you did, every single bit of who you are, the most you of you, the, your heart, your wellspring was this stony heart of death that like God's assessment before the flood, um, your intentions whether you were as evil as you could have been, you probably weren't, but your intentions were only evil continually. Therefore, you weren't righteous. You couldn't be. You didn't have a hope. You couldn't clean yourself up. No drugs would fix this problem. You know, no religion could fix this problem. Your only hope, my only hope, would be a heart transplant. And Christian, that's what God did. When he saved you, if you are a Christian, regardless of how you feel today, regardless of how perfectly you are guarding your heart or imperfectly, regardless of what you did this morning, if you opened up God's word, had sweet time with him in, in his word, or if you fell far short of that, if you look back at your life yesterday and this morning and you say, wow, God, there's evidence of that new heart all over me. Or maybe you were through imperfect heart guarding, through residual flesh, um, not caring for your heart, not keeping short accounts of sin. If you, maybe you're not as quick to see this. Regardless, what happened when you were saved, Christian, is that you were born again. John 3 3. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And God has given you a new heart. Not a perfect one. You still can sin. But for the first time, you can obey from the heart. At regeneration, God declared us righteous and changed us from the heart so that we would, for the first time, have the, ob the ability to obey and love God from that heart. We still live in that mixed condition, right? No doubt. But now, and only now, through the gospel, as a Christian, if you have turned to him in repentance and faith, and he's done this heart transplant work in you, now you actually are able to guard your heart, to shepherd your heart from sin to God. Now with this new heart having been declared righteous in justification, having been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out that righteousness 
through sanctification, you actually have a hope at being anything other than what that old heart determined that we would be. We used to be slaves to sin. Why? Because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. Now turn to Romans 6.17 and be prepared to worship. Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done and its implications. And Paul appropriately starts with the words, thanks be to God. Sisters, this is the only appropriate way to start thinking about this truth. You could be so comfortable with it. You could know it. You could, you could have lived in this, the results of this glorious truth for years. Or it might be new to you. But regardless, never let your heart tire or move on from, from giving thanks for this. Thanks be to God that you, we, who were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart. If you're into underlining, do that here. Obedient from the heart. Why did you become that? Think back to what we just covered. You became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have now become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, seriously one of my favorite authors, is a 17th century Puritan. Uh, he said it so well. The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it's his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. Seriously, stop right now. Even while I talk, Stop right now and in your heart, praise and thank God for his regenerating work in your heart. Familiarity can sometimes rob us of the opportunity to worship. We oftentimes aren't thankful as thankful as we should be for the things with which we are familiar. Right? The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And there is no more blazing, glorious truth than the gospel. And this is such a critical part of it. And if you can sit under this with a heart unaffected, that's a dangerous place to be. So just first, as you shepherd your heart to God, if, if, if you are not, and this isn't all about emotional response, right? But, but your heart should be affected here. Just give thanks to God for this truth, that he changed you from the heart. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter wisely advised the church. It's at the bottom of page two. Till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is a 
hypocrite's religion. But praise be to God. He has no interest in outward religion, right? You are not here because we're doing religious churchy things. That can't be what you do in your Christian life. God does not want outward religion while you're dead inside. He has no interest in that, but through the gospel by Jesus' work at the cross, he gave us a new heart. And like Romans six seventeen says, thanks be to God that you and I, who were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart. If you're not a Christian, please repent of your sins and trust in God to forgive those sins and to give you this new heart. Nothing else that you hear here, here apart from that, nothing else that you read in the Bible apart from getting that new start, that heart transplant that only comes by faith, by, by grace, through faith, nothing else will be of any value to you. Imagine a city with a poisoned well as an illustration. If that well was full of poison, that city would only be full of death, right? And then imagine that a king came and provided clean water, a new wellspring. Their old well was full of poison, and this new one, for the first time, had fresh water. Just like that person with the heart transplant, the very nature of that city and, and the, the way that life would be lived within would be dramatically different. Those who were once made weak, anemic, and dying from the poison, they would have a taste of that which they never knew before. Pure water. Those people would know the importance of that wellspring, right? And they would know the effects well, through experience, just like we all do, of a poisoned well. But they would also know the joys of purity, that which they couldn't have known apart from that king. Those people, they would never think, I wonder how much poison we could let back in this new well and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance because they would know that their very lives depended on it. Christian, we are those people. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. And at salvation, for the first time, you could glorify God and not sin from the heart. Guard that heart. In light of this illustration, uh, consider the quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's at the top of page three. And as, you, as I read it, look for the wellspring disciplines of heart, home, and ministry and the effect of an unguarded or guarded heart on your home and the church and all those you come in contact with. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, stays not here, but diffuses itself all over the body and never ceases until it has infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will. It creeps from one member of the body to another, 
and from the body to the soul till it has infected the whole man. And then from man to man till the whole family. And it stays not there, but runs like a wildfire from family to family till it has poisoned a whole town and so a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't be content to stay in your heart only. It will seek to destroy you, then your home, then your ministry, probably your small group, this church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What poison are you dabbling with? And remember purity. Like those people in that city. Like you with the new heart. Long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard the well. For the sake of your life, your home, your church, guard your heart with all vigilance. And we already, we got ahead of ourselves, right? We, we focused on the why, and you couldn't talk about that without flowing so naturally into this command, the what. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. The truth that the heart's the wellspring, it just leads so naturally to Solomon's command, the, the what at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected, so guard your heart. How are we to guard our hearts? How can we keep this source of our life pure? David, Solomon's dad, may have informed him here, um, in essence asked this question in Psalm 119.9. Yes, this is at the bottom of page three, so you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. He asked, in essence, this question, how do you guard our, how are we to guard our hearts? And he said, how can a young man keep his way pure? Before you go on, how would you answer that question, right? Like, if you say, I have to guard my heart, what do I do? Where did David go first? How can you keep your way pure? We're going to read... David, how David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered that question when he said he guarded it with God's word, according to God's word. David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. He said, by guarding it, Psalm 119, according to your word, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. As you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil, right? Not wandering from his commandments. That is critical. You can't say, oh, I'm just pursuing God. I don't care about sin, right? That's, you must not wander from his commandments. Sin is the poison. But it's not enough. Purity isn't just what you keep out. 
You will be careful who and what you allow close. You will be careful to fight temptations, to not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You will protect your heart from exposure to things that could poison the wellspring of your life. But we see something more important and more fundamental to the guarding of your heart than just keeping out sin, as critical as that is. Seek God through his word with all your heart. As we guard the wellspring of our hearts, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God, not as an end in and of itself, but to get the God that is revealed in that word, who reveals himself to us in that word. In your heart guarding, make sure that you are not shepherding it to pharisaical behavior-focused religion. Right? What did the Pharisees do? John 5. You search the scriptures because in them you think that you're going to find life. But Jesus says you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These words point you to God. Let's look at... Uh, I think a, a New Testament corollary, an implication of this, in, in 1 John 3, 2 through 3. This is so sweet. Turn there in your Bibles with me. First John 3, 2 through 3. Speaking to the Christian, he starts with, Beloved, we are God's children now. And, and this is a sweet thing before we go on. Because you might hear this. When, when I, I hear this, I have a new heart, a pure heart. And I look at my life and I can frankly be overwhelmed with the sin that remains. God, if I'm, if I'm your child... And I, I can't obey you from the heart. I, I know I am a slave to righteousness. I'm just so tired of fighting the sin that seems to be here. I can't shake. Why am I anxious? Why am I fearful? Why did I, why did I get angry right then? God, why, do, why am I still struggling with this? It's, don't worry. You are my child now. Beloved, John says, we are God's children now. Right? I mean, if you, he starts the book. If you say that you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself. Right? That, that's not the way this new life as a Christian works. But we do get to walk in the light as he's in the light. And, and we do. He writes these things so that we may not sin. This is still the aim. And we get there through pursuit of the Lord through walking in the light just as, as he is, with our eyes fixed on him. John 1, we could get there, but, but running up. John feels sort of the despair that maybe I feel, you might feel as you hear this. You're like, this is all good theologically, but it doesn't match perfectly with my experience. And he goes, don't worry. Worry, confess your sins, right? Don't play, make short accounts of the sin. Don't, don't let a little bit in. Confess your sins quickly and don't worry. He is faithful and just 
to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who died for you. So, beloved, you're God's children now. But what we will be hasn't yet appeared. A little bit. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, we will be like him. How? Why? Why will we be like him? Look down. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. What does it say? As we see him as he is. One day when we see God as he is, in a moment, we will be made to look completely like him. These things aren't just coincident, meaning that they happen to occur at the same time. I believe that one is the source of the other. One is the means of the other. Right, right now, how do, we, how do we grow in godliness? Setting the, the gaze of our hearts on him. We see him most clearly in his word now, but one day we will see him they lifted with our eyes, and in a moment we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who hopes on him. It's the same. It's, a, it's, all, it's the ultimate conclusion of exactly what we see David's hope in Psalm 119.9 was. So look forward to that day. But for now, don't tire of fixing the gaze of your heart where you see Jesus revealed most clearly, which is in his word, which means that every time you open up his word, you are not doing it to say, what's merely on my Bible reading list today? What's, what's on my list? That's a great guide to where to go so that you are exposed to the whole counsel of, of scripture. Because Jesus is revealed, God is revealed front to back through the Bible. But when you go there, you are going, you're going to open up God's word to get the God who is revealed in that word, which is why it's, I've made the practice, it's been about 15 years now, I think Rebecca was in my small group when I figured this out, um, when I was like, it's hard to, sometimes I'm like, what does this passage and the Old Testament have to do with me? I want to get God here, but what do I do? And, and I just made a habit of writing down every day, just asking the simple question, what does this text reveal about God? Right? You're looking for what has God revealed about himself here. Sometimes you're, you're reading about him in a different situation than you find yourself, but God is still revealed. So answer that question and do it in writing. Not with nebulous thoughts up in your mind, right? But with actual write it out. One sentence, a whole paragraph, or, or write more if you want. But don't, don't let those thoughts remain nebulous. What does this passage reveal about God? Write it. Text it to a friend. Tell your spouse. Talk to your kids about it. And then ask yourself the second question. And how must this affect me?
that is not the only means of getting God in his word, but it, I found it to be just an effective and simple one to help me remember what I'm aiming at each morning when I'm reading his word. But overall, do you get this? The, the main point here is the means of pursuing and guarding daily your, your purity of heart. It's the means of our ultimate heart purification. Sorry, the, the daily means of your heart purification and the one that God's going to use ultimately, they're not dissimilar. It's, it's the same. It's, the point is we guard our hearts to purity by pursuing God. So how must we do this? It's sort of obvious. If, if there's something this important, would you guard anything else with the diligence with which you guard this? One commentator on this verse says the comparative, and then he, he talks about the Hebrew um, addition to the, to the word guard. The comparative there that's translated above all else with all vigilance that comparative constitutes the standard by which the quality of guarding the heart is measured. It must be reckoned as more important than anything else that one needs to restrain. Right? You might wake up and be like, man, that kid needs to be restrained. Like, if I don't restrain that kid, something really dangerous is going to happen today. And that is true of my six-year-old. Like, that you cannot let your eyes off of him. He, he needs to be restrained, but more importantly than, than watching him, more important than really any guarding anything else. When I'm, I'm at work, I, I need to always be vigilant because my surgeons are always trying to kill my patient. They need, I need to say, I, I do anesthesia. Sorry, if, if you didn't know that, I do anesthesia, so I'm always saving the, the lives from the doctors who are trying to kill them. I, I need to restrain them. I need to save their lives. More important than that, though, in those moments is I need to guard my heart, right? We have a new heart with new love and affection for God. Flesh within, Satan without, temptations surrounding us are constantly assaulting our heart, seeking to taint it with sin. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else, not being content to even let an ounce of sin in. Rather, we guard our hearts by seeking God with our whole hearts through his word all the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off. Is there anything that you do with more attention than you guard your heart? The answer according to God's word here should be no. Right? There's, above all else, with all vigilance as you do everything else. It's not like you say, okay, I guarded my heart here in the morning. Now let me go do this task. Oh, now I got to put five more minutes of heart guarding in. This must be on your mind. You must be vigilant of this in everything you do. Guarding your heart can't merely be one task in your life among many. This isn't just a suggestion. It, it isn't something that would just be good to do. It must be done in all of life. Just like that city would protect its vital water supply, right? If it took a day off, um, irreparable damage could occur. Thankfully, 
I, I quoted it earlier from First John, right? If, if we confess our sins, if you have not been heart guarding, your situation is not irreparable. What, what does God do if you confess your sins? He is faithful and just to forgive you, but also cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's not something that merely happens back at the beginning. Um, he continues to do that through your life. He is more committed to your heart guarding than you are. He gave you the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. But that doesn't mean it can be passive. Right? More energy than you do in, with anything else. Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Now here's something sobering. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 better than we do. In one sense. In, in another sense, no. He, he didn't know the gospel the way we do. But, but he certainly wrote this. You can talk about heart guarding. You can be committed to it. You can stand up here in front of Wellspring and teach it. But that's not the same thing as doing it. And yesterday's success at guarding my heart certainly helps today's, right? Heart guarding tends to be a, tend to walk in patterns. I, I think that's actually the next verse in, in Proverbs. It talks about putting one foot in front of the other, keeping your eyes straight ahead. You dig a rut of faithfulness. If you walk back and forth on the same path day by day, it's harder to fall off the side of the mountain. Um, Look at that in the next verse. Today's heart guarding helps tomorrow's, but it doesn't guarantee it. And yesterday's heart guarding doesn't guarantee today's. So let's look at, at um, 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4 really fast and, and consider with me this sad, sobering example from the one who wrote this. If you actually read First Kings, there's a whole wellspring lesson in there. Some year I'd love to, to teach it, um, basically walking through the, the kings and, and what happened in, in Solomon's life. It, it's actually, you basically look and one by one, he forsook the commands. Um, that the king was to have um, in front of him. But, but here's the summary. Basically, 1 Kings 1 climaxes up, at, or 1 Kings climaxes up to the, the horrible failure in chapter 11, 1 through 4. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. Why did God warn him, warn them that he, he had good purposes? He, he knew that they would surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon disregarded those commands he held fast to these in love. He had a hundred wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. 
For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Right, David guarded his heart according to God's word. He could be described as having a heart that was wholly devoted to the Lord. Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. And then consider the horrible effects on Solomon's heart, home, and ministry. His heart actually turned to false gods. His children did not love God. And within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two and inundated with idolatry. And finally, God's people were marched out of their promised land into exile and chains. Little compromises that Solomon, the one who prayed for wisdom, was certain he could handle, poisoned the well and all that flowed from it. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 in one sense better than we do because he wrote it. But guarding your heart is so much more than knowing the command. Guarding your heart is much more than being excited about heart guarding your heart or using the shepherding your heart lingo that we use at Grace Bible Church that I'm thankful for. We must actually do it. There's a danger in the shorthand. Oh, how are you doing with shepherding your heart? And we might have a picture of that that subtly morphs into something other than guarding our heart to God according to his word. So just be careful when you're using those words, use them. Ask those questions. When you're asked those questions, run through this really quick. Am I actually doing it above all else? Am I letting a little bit of sin in? Am I content to ask how much poison can I let in and still be okay? I'm going to God's word. What, what am I actually trying to accomplish? What am I accomplishing? Am I seeking God? And then you might want to do what they call a water purity check. I say, it seems like everything's good over there. Let's now look at our lives and see if everything that you do flows from your heart. And you want to say, how, how well am I doing? If that city says, how well are we doing guarding our heart? guarding our well. Well, pretty good. I, I'm not aware of any enemies that got in. I'm not aware of them, but I guess they could have. I haven't been perfect in my heart guarding. Maybe, maybe they snuck in. What would they do? They'd sample the water. Say, how, how pure is it? And we, we get to do that by looking at your life. Not as an end in and of itself, right? You don't look at the, wa at the water and say, oh, shoot, I need to clean like you, you'd get a cup of water out of that well and look at the water and say, wow, that's dirty. I need to put bleach in the water, water some, something to clean the water in the cup. No, the, the dirty cup reflects that the place where the cup came from was, was bad. Or if there's a, a city well and it flows through the pipes and you turn on your faucet, you don't just say, oh, shoot, I must have something wrong with my pipes. No, the, the source of the, well, of the water was, was bad. So you look at your life, what flows out as a 
indication is an indication of how well you have been doing and where you might want to focus your attention as you guard your heart. So the quote under that water purity check on page four says, in the shadow of the cross, if you don't watch, you will weaken. That came from a C.J. Mahaney quote that I found particularly helpful. It says, we study our hearts in the shadow of the cross, right? If you don't study your heart in the shadow of the cross, we're just prone to just self-justifying behavior, right? To, to look at our obedience in some sense. We're always prone to say, oh, look, I'm obeying. I must be acceptable to God. We're prone to, to do that. Maybe you do. If, if you sin, if you're having a particularly bad day, I do this. If I'm having a particularly bad day with sin, I may have a slowness to come to God in prayer with the subtle thought, oh God, I'm not worthy. How could I have just had that thought and then think I can pray? What a hypocrite I am. Do you see the subtlety that, that snuck in there? I'm trying to sneak my merit into my ability to come to God in prayer. Saying, oh, I better walk in obedience for just a little bit before I feel good enough to come to you. That's sneaking merit saying, yeah, I need Jesus, but maybe just a little bit God's, I'm acceptable to God because of the quality of my obedience that needs to be banished from your obedience, right? You look at your obedience and you say, praise God. That obedience only came because God changed me from the heart, gave me his Holy Spirit, and I'm living out the new creature he made me to be. I am not acceptable to him because I obeyed, but I'm obeying because he justified me and changed me from my heart. So when you see obedience, it's something to repent of, not to regain acceptance in God's sight, but because of everything we just talked about, to guard the purity of this heart to seek God in his word, or to seek God through his word. So that's the in the shadow of the cross. Sorry, back to the quote. I just got sidetracked. Um, we study our heart in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. If you don't watch, you will inevitably weaken. So now let me give you some water purity check questions to help you evaluate and guide your heart guarding. Um, I want you to consider these now as I read them, but then more deeply in the following weeks. I believe they're part of your homework. And no doubt you can come up with much better questions. And there's actually three blanks for you to do so. Be thoughtful about those. Um, but these are questions. The purpose isn't to bring shame to me. The purpose isn't to pat myself on the back. The purpose is to help me see, is there anywhere that sin has snuck in that I was unaware of? Or how can I better focus my guarding of my heart, the, my pursuit of God in his word and fleeing from sin. So these questions for me, these have proved very helpful over the years. Do you usually sense, and this would be throughout the day, right? 
in a presence or absence of affection for God. Do you have an appetite for God's word? Do you see how each one of these might be, if you're like, if you're answering no, that gives you an opportunity to tailor your heart guarding. The, the new man will have, right, when your heart, when you see him as he is, there'll be, there'll be an answer to, to all of these questions. It'll be very obvious, right? Yes, for, for all of eternity, I will never tire of my affection for the Lord. I will never tire of, see, of, of, of knowing God as he reveals himself. Um, anyway, when I'm made like him, when I see him as he is. But now when I answer no here, or to the degree I answer no, it's an opportunity to say, okay, I, I need to focus my guarding of my heart better here. Are you daily shepherding your heart to God and his word? Or are you content to skip a day? Let you, you know, ride on, on yesterday's, on the fumes of yesterday's gas tank. Do your daily routines, entertainment choices, internet use, free time, priorities, reflect that you're guarding your heart above all else? How do your prayers, what, what are you praying for? And how do those prayers reflect the vigilance with which you're guarding your heart? What lures your heart away from God? And how diligently do you flee this? You're going to come up with, with some others. And remember, to the degree that you're doing a good job here, God gets the glory. Don't skip over that point. Just say, oh, good, I'm doing pretty well there. Move on. Don't do that. That... That's a recipe for, for pride, self-justification at worst. And at the very, it also just misses the opportunity to actually give God the glory for, what he, for the miracle that he accomplished in you when he gave you a new heart. But if you're anything like me and this list of questions reveals sin, what we've studied today shows that in our battle against these sins, we must go to the root. Confess that sin to God and by his grace, guard your new heart. Apart from the grace of God, you're helpless to work at the heart level. But by God's grace, in the shadow of the cross, we diligently shepherd our heart to God and away from sin. So your homework this week will be rehearsing the content of this lesson today to remember what God has done for your heart and what the implications are. And then you're going to go through these heart pure, these water purity check questions and consider what do your answers reveal about how well you've been guarding your wellspring? What practices or disciplines in your heart guarding do you need to maintain? What might you need to change? I'd encourage you where you see specific answers to that and you're convicted and you see something needs to change in my life my priorities tell somebody you know, don't post it on the internet or something but, but tell your spouse tell tell your somebody in your in your wellspring group tell your wellspring leader but choose somebody who who you will tell and then have a plan to follow up on that water purity check right if, if you would sample your city's water and say oh it's a, it's impure here's my action plan should have a plan to follow back up on that with specific gauges for growth. Maybe do that with somebody. If you have, hey Siri, remind me in two months to ask so-and-so this question. 
she'll remind you in two months to ask so-and-so that question. Um, those kinds of things are really helpful so that what might be pricking your conscience now doesn't just sort of blend into the background. Um, Siri, just... <laughs> I don't see... Um, yeah, so what we must not do when we sin is play leapfrog over the heart, right? Guarding your heart can't be behavior modification. It has to be, um, like David did, aiming at bringing your heart into contact with God through his word. With my whole heart I seek you. God's already done the most amazing and most important work in giving us new hearts. So by the grace of God and the shadow of the cross for the glory of God, let's guard these hearts together. Let's pray. God, I just have to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to rehearse these things with my church, with these women. God, thank you for this new heart. I can't imagine living life apart from you. God, I can't imagine knowing, knowing what just the joys of being able to obey you from the heart. I can't imagine being left to myself, God. It, it, but I didn't even know. I had no idea just how wicked and helpless and evil I was, but you reached down into my lostness, into my rebellion. And this is the same story that all the Christians here have. And you, by your grace, while I was your enemy, while I was dead, made me your son, made me alive together with Christ took out my old heart of stone, put in a new heart of flesh, made me a new crea creature. When I was a slave to sin, you made me now a slave to righteousness so that I could obey you from the heart. God, I, I pray that this would be something I am convicted of, that we are convicted of, passionate about, committed to, not just while we sit here in Wellspring, but when we get out into the hustle and bustle of life, the things that actually tempt us to walk away from you. God, I pray that from the minutes we leave here and the days and years that follow, we would be committed to guarding our hearts above all else, because we know that from them flow the springs of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.